Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program. Let's get started. Turn up the volume and slice up that eggnog. Santa coming to town. Oh, oh, no. I think you're confusing him with Santa Claus. Steve Z at the Truth Hurts program. You know what that is? It's Friday. I'll be back. Maybe it's your voice. Yes, my wonderful Truth Hurts program listeners, we have made it to Friday, the 17th day of December 2021. And I want to start off today's program by first wishing everyone who will be out of town, out of touch, out of pocket next week, the week before Christmas, a very Merry Christmas, a joyous Hanukkah, a happy whatever holiday you celebrate this time of year. Enjoy your time off. I'm sure you deserved it if you are a hard-working, tax-paying American and not some freeloading bum suckling off the government tit. The first topic today is when will progressive, woke liberals learn their lesson? Probably never. There's a certain ignorance that abounds within the progressive liberal mindset that they think they are somehow self-righteous do-gooders and that they have everything figured out. The Salvation Army, according to the Washington Examiner, has been ditched by donors and volunteers after their disastrous release of an anti-racism guide. Here's the story written by Andrew Carr. Salvation Army chapters across the country are reporting massive shortages in volunteer hours and toy donations, as well as cash donations, Weeks after the charity distributed, and then suddenly pulled back, a controversial guide calling on white people to confront their racist attitudes. Before I go on, I'm going to tell you the kettlebell ringers outside of the local Target the other day were ringing hard, hoping someone would put some money in their kettle. I just said, pass a word on to the people at the top. Quit promoting lies of false racism and maybe people will donate to your sham charity. I'm sure the Salvation Army has and does and will probably continue to do some good things. But the issuance of that guide alone, my friends, tells me that they are funneling that money to non-white causes only. That's just my opinion. But if you tell me all white people are racists and all white people need to change their racist ways, and then you ask me for 20 bucks to put in your kettle... I'm pretty sure you're begging this white racist, supposedly, to help you help out non-white causes. Well, I'm not a racist. I do have an aversion to a certain element within a certain ethnic minority 
who commits 95% of all violent crimes in America and seems to get away with no bail or extremely low bail, even repeat offenders, even people with multiple felony convictions who don't show up for court in some Democrat-run cities are simply getting out on their word that they'll show up for court. Meanwhile, as soon as they get out, they go and commit another crime, and another, and another, and another. And not until someone finds themselves on the wrong side of dead, and it's someone that's important to the media or to the Democrat leadership, is something done about it. But I'm off topic. Let me get back on topic. 20,000 volunteer hours have gone unfulfilled and unfilled for the Salvation Army's Red Kettle campaign this year which historically represents about one-third of the charity's total yearly donations. They've also reported substantial shortages of toy and gift donations in many parts of the nation, such as Democrat New Jersey, where donations are down nearly one-third across the state. I'm going to stop once again. Perhaps it's the empty shelves, Joe. Perhaps it's the high inflation, Joe, that has people keeping more of their own money and giving less and less to pandering organizations who always seem to have their hands out to give to people who always seem to feel like they're entitled to something for nothing. Groups of people who refuse to go get jobs in what is supposedly the hottest job market in 60 years in the United States of America. The reports of volunteer and donation shortages, this article says, comes less than three weeks after the Salvation Army pulled an internal guide called Let's Talk About Racism that discouraged colorblindness and called on white people to, quote, evaluate racist attitudes and practices, unquote. What they did was basically say all white people are racist. We're not. And all white people have bad attitudes towards brown and black people. We don't. We do have a bad attitude towards Every person, no matter their color, if they're freeloaders, bums. What's the word I'm looking for? Panhandlers? No. Beggars? No. People who are able-bodied and capable of working, but sit home and refuse to do so, and then cry, (laughs) Poor pitiful me. (laughs) The white people aren't giving me nothing, and I have to actually go out and earn a living. The Salvation Army initially defended the guide in late November, saying in a statement that it was false to suggest the group believes white people should apologize for their skin color or that America is an inherently racist society. However, the group was called out, and they removed the guide from its website on the last day of November after acknowledging that the contents had, quote, led some to believe we think that they should apologize for the color of their skin, or that the Salvation Army may have abandoned its biblical beliefs for another philosophy or ideology. That was never our intention, so the guide has been removed for appropriate review. This according to a statement. Salvation Army USA Twitter account said, The sensationalist claims that the Salvation Army has entered a political war are simply not true. Please see our response here. So when you click on their Twitter feed to read the response, it says, I'm Commissioner Ken Hodder, National Commander of the Salvation Army. There is too much at stake right now for the people we serve for there to be any confusion about what the Salvation Army stands for. 
So let me be clear. We believe only in the Bible. We endorse no social theory or philosophy, and we never will. And we're not asking anyone to apologize for the color of their skin. We believe that all of us are made in God's image, and that he loves all of us equally, and that racism is totally incompatible with Christianity. We apologize for any confusion the Salvation Army has caused on this, but right now, there are lots of people who need our help. They need your help. So join us in meeting human needs in Christ's name without discrimination. Merry Christmas. And as if that wasn't good enough, they further tried to explain in a second video. Hi, I'm Commissioner Ken Hodder, and this is two and a half minutes on the Salvation Army and the issue of racism. The Salvation Army came to the United States in March of 1880. Three weeks later, Harper's Weekly published a drawing of its first indoor meeting, a copy of which now hangs in my office. There's one aspect of that drawing that has always struck me. Who was there? Blacks, whites, Asians, it didn't matter where someone was from, what the color of their skin might be, or even what language they spoke. At the Salvation Army, all were welcome. That commitment to racial unity has never changed. Today, the Army serves more than 30 million people every year across all zip codes through programs that are operated by and for people of every race and ethnic group. We still welcome everyone. We still worship together and we still serve anyone in need. Of course, conversations about race have evolved over the years, so it's no surprise that I'm sometimes asked what the Army has to say about critical race theory. My answer is always the same. For us, racial justice has never been about one social theory or another. We've never taken our lead from academic papers or party platforms, political pundits, or even popular polls. We endorse no philosophy or ideology other than that found in the Bible. In our view, one simply cannot go wrong with the time-tested, thoroughly scriptural idea that everyone is made in the image of God. Our international positional statement on racism makes this very clear. God's love for each of us is the model for why and how we should love each other. Have we made mistakes over the years? Of course we have. Do we want to keep learning? You bet. Are we willing to discuss new ways to increase diversity? Absolutely. Discussion is what reasonable people do. But nothing, nothing will ever change the fundamental commitments that have characterized the Salvation Army for more than 156 years. Our message is still based on the Bible. Our ministry is still motivated by the love of God. And our mission is still to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in His name without discrimination. The Salvation Army is not on the left, and it's not on the right. We're where we've always been, following Jesus Christ. God bless you. Well, isn't that special? Nice way to cover your ass after issuing something that was very controversial. But what can I say? Salvation Army Marketing Manager Angel Fields Mitchell told CBS Minnesota that the COVID-19 pandemic was to blame for the volunteer shortages, but a recent Rasmussen poll suggests that blowback to the group's anti-racism guide damaged its credibility amongst the public and potential donors. I walked right by the kettle, and I made mention of their racist teachings, their racist change. I'm sure the Salvation Army started out a century or more ago to be a very loving, caring, in Christ's image kind of 
giving charity, but when you publish and you pay a publishing company to print out the drivel that was included, which accused white people of being inherently racist based on the color of their skin, and basically said, hey, y'all need to give to dark-skinned people, and y'all ain't doing so, that was enough for me to say, we'll pass the kettle this year. The Rasmussen poll found that the percentage of respondents who had an unfavorable view of the Salvation Army increased from 11% to 41% after the respondents were informed of the guide and told the charity was training members in the belief that America is a structurally racist society. The percentage of respondents who reported having a favorable opinion of the Salvation Army dropped from 81% to 41% after they learned of the guide. Leaders of the local Salvation Army chapters have expressed alarm within the last week over volunteer and donation shortages. Salvation Army Northwest Division Cindy Foley said, quote, The situation is dire and we're asking our generous supporters in the region to donate to the virtual Northwest Red Kettle as well as make donations at every physical kettle in whatever way you can. Other chapters have reported substantial volunteer shortages. Montgomery, Alabama's Salvation Army said it was only able to man about a dozen of the 40 red kettle locations across Montgomery, Alabama. They've resorted to actually having to hire people instead of using volunteers. The Red Kettle Campaign is Salvation Army's largest campaign. It's the largest campaign in Wilkes Bar, said Lieutenant Ismail Ortiz in Pennsylvania. It's where we raise the most funds for the entire year. This year, we're really having trouble getting volunteers to stand at the kettles for us. This article concludes the Salvation Army did not return a request for comment. I guess they're keeping their mouths shut so they don't say anything else stupid. Come on, white privilege. Come on, white privilege. Come over here and put some money up in this here keller. Come on, white privilege. Y'all know y'all be racist. Y'all gotta repent for your racist ways. Come on, white privilege. Y'all ain't read the pamphlet? Y'all better read the pamphlet. All you white people racist. Every one of you. I don't care who you are. You a racist, whitey. Now put some money in the kettle. From the <laughs> files, your president, gropey Joe Biden, has conceded that the so-called Build Back Better joke bill will not get passed this calendar year. Alex Thompson writes in Politico, President Joe Biden acknowledged on Thursday that negotiations over his so-called Build Back Better bill are poised to drag on into 2022, despite efforts and begging and pledges by Democrats to get it done before Christmas. Way to go, Gropey Joe. He said, and I quote, it takes time to finalize these agreements, prepare legislative changes, finish all parliamentary procedural steps needed to make Senate vote. What? I'll turn that into real English for you, Gropey Joe. It takes time to finalize these agreements, prepare the legislative changes, and finish all the parliamentary and procedural steps needed to enable a Senate vote. He said this in a statement. He said that he spoke to Democrat leaders in Congress, Speaker Nazi Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuckles the Clown Schumer earlier Thursday and they plan to quote advance this work together over the days and weeks ahead Leader Schumer and I are determined to see the bill successfully on the floor as early as possible <laughs> Nice try gropey Joe With the holidays approaching and the Senate eager to leave town today a vote is not now likely until after New Year's Day unless of course Chuckles the Clown Schumer pulls one of those last minute, okay, we're all staying here, and piss off a bunch of senators. Oh well, there's always the issue of cloture, right? 
The statement is a recognition that the president's team has so far failed to persuade Joe Manchin to sign anything close to resembling the so-called 1.3, uh, 1.75 rather, trillion dollar social spending and climate mitigation bill, and they still haven't signed on Kirsten Cinema either. Gropey Joe also said, In these discussions, Senator Manchin has reiterated support for Build Back Better funding a level of framework our plan on its announced September. I believe Bridge R. Dipson and advanced the Build Back Better plan for you in the face of fierce Republican opposition. What? Here, let me translate that for you. The president supposedly said, In these discussions, Senator Manchin has reiterated his support for Build Back Better funding at the level of the framework plan I announced in September. I believe that we will bridge our differences and advance the Build Back Better plan even in the face of fierce Republican opposition. He also said that my team and I are having ongoing discussions with Senator Manchin that will work will continue into next week. These long, drawn-out, dragging on at a snail's pace negotiations come at a vulnerable moment for the gropey Joe Biden presidency after many, many months of piss-poor polling. Anemic polling, the article says. The White House says they remain confident they will get a deal eventually, but it is almost certain to be far short of their original ambitions, which included trillions upon trillions more dollars in spending and, of course, tax increases. And one of the things that is likely to go away is the free community college nationwide. It's unclear how much longer the negotiations might go on. Joe Manchin says he believes many of the short-term programs in the House bill are simply budget gimmicks that hide the true cost of the bill. Joe Manchin is correct. He's urged colleagues to include only 10-year programs in the final legislation to match the 10-year window on what they claim will be increased tax revenues. Did you hear me, boys and girls? Increased tax revenues. Joe Manchin and Gropey Joe spoke twice on the phone last week to try and find a way forward, but they still remain far apart. At this point in time, we might as well call him Speaker of the House, Joe Manchin, for it is his word, my friends, that steer nasty, naughty, Nazi Nancy Pelosi and the rest of their group. The White House has treated the Manchin relationship quite delicately, and they need to. They've been offering him more and more carrots and less and less sticks. Even Biden himself has been careful not to put too much external pressure on Manchin through public criticism. But Gropey Joe's frustration appears to be growing. So far, the president's delicate approach has proven slow but effective, they say. Really? Haven't passed the bill yet, have you? Not very effective, Gropey Joe. Ultimately, securing Manchin's votes for the other large parts of Biden's agenda, including the American Rescue Package and a $550 billion infrastructure bill? I thought it was a $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. Where are you getting this $550 billion number from, writer of this article? It concludes saying Biden is also limited by the fact that many traditional levers of power, potential primary challenges, pledges of presidential support, are less effective with Manchin, given he is the only Democrat in the Senate to have won in a state where President Trump also won by a whopping 40 points. They know the power that Joe Manchin wields, and therefore they have to tread lightly. Otherwise, Joe Manchin flips Republican, and things go downhill from there for the Democrats. We can only hope here on the conservative side of the aisle that Manchin wises up 
changes parties, and drags Kirsten Cinema along with him. This is the Truth Hurts program. Hey, Joe Bob, you want to go hunting this weekend? I can't. I've got to work overtime so I can make my $120,000 a year. $120,000 a year? What are you, some kind of space engineer, rocket scientist, surgeon? Some kind of skilled laborer that I don't know about? Because you sure did fail four grades back in school days. No, I make the, uh, what you call that there, uh, Frosted Flakes, breakfast cereals there, Raisin Brands. I got to make sure that two scoops go in every box. One, two. See, I'm skilled labor. Well, I don't know about all that. 120000 a year. My God. You get benefits with that? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll get health and eye dental and and uh, hearing and, and, and glasses and sometimes even contacts. And if I do something stupid on the weekend, they're going to cover my medical as well. I got a good job over there, except right now I'm on strike. What the hell are you on strike for, man? Sounds like you got a gravy job, no education, and you're making bank. Uh, cause somebody at the union came in the fancy new Cadillac and said, y'all gonna go on strike, and we said, okay. Your Frosted Flakes, your Corn Flakes, and all of your other favorite breakfast cereals might be saved just in time for Christmas. Because the union representing striking workers at the Kellogg's plants around the country have allegedly now reached a tentative agreement to continue working. This after Kellogg says, look, we're sick of you guys being off the job. There are breakfast foods to be made, and you guys aren't doing anything to help make it. The 1,400 striking workers were about to be replaced with permanent replacements, non-union replacements, when Kellogg's reached a tentative agreement with the Bakery Confectionery Tobacco Workers and Grain Millers International Union on Thursday. On Sunday, members of the union will vote on a new offer that has cost of living adjustments and a $1.10 per hour raise for all employees. The agreement maintains employees' health care benefits. You wonder why your sugar-sweetened snack and cereal costs so much? I would say workers who don't do a whole hell of a lot except make cereal have asked for more and more and more, and Kellogg's finally said, well, I guess we got no choice. We could replace you all. Then we have to train a bunch of people. The results of the vote are expected to be announced on Tuesday. Union officials declined to comment to the AP on Thursday regarding the details of the proposed five-year deal. Late last month, the company said it planned to begin hiring permanent replacements for striking workers. Kellogg's was keeping its plant operational using salaried employees and management staff and outside workers during the strike in temporary roles. Of course, the company has to make a politically correct-sounding statement. Kellogg Company Chairman and CEO Steve Cahillane said, We value all of our employees. They have enabled Kellogg to provide food to Americans for more than 115 years. We are hopeful our employees will vote to ratify the contract and return to work. The workers held out for more, partly due to the belief that the ongoing worker shortages nationwide gave them extra leverage during negotiations. They also said they deserve pay raises for running the plants during the pandemic. Man, go to your freaking job. Do your job. Pandemic, my ass. Kellogg said that the majority of its workers earn an average of $120,000 per year. That's a lot of money. Union members say, but they have to work 80 hours to do so. 
and only long-time workers can own those wages. You think you're going to walk in off the street with zero skill, work a 40-hour week, and make 120 grand a year? You're deluding yourself. The two-tiered system that Kellogg's uses, newer workers receive less pay. Duh! That's the way it is everywhere. You have to earn your pay raise in America. The pay system is two-tiered, according to union members, who say newer workers receive less pay and fewer benefits. They were a sticking point during negotiations. Kellogg's offer did not change that part of the contract. The company says it will allow workers with at least four years of experience to move up to a higher legacy pay level as part of the contract. But union officials said the plan wouldn't let other workers move up quickly enough. You have to have experience and become good at your job. That's the way it works in capitalist America. If you'd really like communist America, everyone can make $30,000 a year. And then no one will have anything nice. The strike involved four plants. Battle Creek, Michigan, Omaha, Nebraska, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Memphis, Tennessee. They make Frosted Flakes, Rice Krispies, and Apple Jacks, amongst others. And what conversation about a union would be complete without gropey Joe Biden and his stupid economic policy? Joe Biden sharply criticized Kellogg's for threatening to permanently replace workers, saying that doing so would undermine the collective bargaining process. During the strike, at times, the disagreements between the company and union have become bitter. Kellogg's went to court in Omaha in November to secure an order that set guidelines for how workers behaved on the picket line because the company said striking workers were illegally blocking plant entrances and intimidating replacement workers. That's illegal. Union officials denied improper behavior during the strike. I understand the right to strike, but if you're making $120,000 to put frosted flakes in a bag, put the bag in a box and seal it and stick it on a pallet, you're making way too much damn money. I want to switch gears for a moment. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, wrote in Newsweek that America is drifting towards a catastrophic defeat. He writes in the opinion editorial in the Newsweek this week, I am talking about a defeat that will eliminate our freedom and permanently subordinate America to communist China and its demands for absolute control and obedience. You may think this vision is alarmist, but look at the Chinese Communist Party's control over Hong Kong. Look at the abuses in Tibet and the Uyghur genocide in Jiangxing. Now, for that matter, look at the giant wealthy American companies that already kowtow to the Chinese Communist Party's demands and adjust their language and their behaviors to placate Beijing. After pressures from China, Disney removed an episode of The Simpsons from its streaming services in Hong Kong over a reference to the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. Nike and Coca-Cola lobbied against legislation to ban imports of goods made with forced labor in China. J.P. Morgan Chase has expanded its business in China despite known serious data security and U.S. national security risks. And remember the turmoil when Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey tweeted out his support for democracy in Hong Kong? The NBA and various players went into a tailspin of shameless apology and censorship on China's behalf. It was disgusting. Some American billionaires have made so much money in collaboration with communist China that they prioritize padding their pockets over both American values and American national security interests. But a defeated America would be subordinated to the Chinese communist dictatorship. 
Our words, our behaviors, our institutions would constantly have to be molded to appease a paranoid dictatorship in Beijing. Despite the extraordinary consequences of defeat, the American system is gradually drifting into a national security system that will clearly lose a major war with communist China. Newt Gingrich says, don't take my word for it. Americans' military leaders are already sounding the alarm. U.S. Space Force General David Thompson warned China could overtake the United States in terms of space capabilities by 2030 if America doesn't speed up its development. The fact is that in essence, on average, China is building and fielding and updating its space capabilities at twice the rate we are. Despite the growing threat in space, when Vice President Kamala Harris chaired the administration's first meeting of the National Space Council this month, there was not a single military issue discussed. Beyond the rising vulnerabilities in space, and generals have reported that Russia and China engage the United States in space virtually every day, there's also a general crisis of our defense capabilities. Business Insider reported the U.S. military is changing the way it fights after it failed miserably in a war game against an aggressive adversary who knew its playbook. The vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General John Hyten, warned in a July conference, without overstating the issue, it failed miserably. He explained that the war game, which simulated a conflict with China over Taiwan, involved an adversary that had studied American conflict and war fighting for over two decades. As he put it, the fictional China just ran rings around us. They knew exactly what we were going to do before we did it, and they took advantage of it. The real China communists have similarly studied our military strategies with probably even more focus and larger numbers, General Hyten warned. As he put it, we have to make serious changes because our ability to overmatch rival powers, including China, has been shrinking fast. Admirals who've led the American Pacific military commitment have also been vocal about the failure of our current systems. According to The Guardian, now retired Admiral Philip Davidson, who was the 25th commander of the United States Indo-Pacific Command, said back in March that a serious fight over Taiwan could come in the next six years. He said, quote, I worry that China is accelerating its ambitions to supplant the United States and our leadership role in the rules-based international order by 2050, unquote. The examples Gingrich cites in his article go on and on and on, and he says America loses each one. The current National Defense Authorization Act simply does not address the scale of change we need to ensure America could militarily defeat China. The Pentagon and intelligence communities distracting focus on creating a woke force rather than a war-winning force is further weakening America transgenders in the military and where they're going to pee and poop take preference and precedence with our military leaders because the woke progressive democrat leadership in the country focuses more on making them happy than making us strong back to the article we need a full-blown investigation into the requirements for military victory over china and a commitment to undertake every reform needed in defense, education, capital markets, supply chains, manufacturing, energy, and other areas to ensure American safety and freedom continues. Anything short of completely rethinking of our capabilities and the challenge of the Chinese Communist Party's systemic effort to become the world's dominant superpower may well lead to our defeat in a much shorter time than anyone now thinks possible. Our freedoms and our physical safety are both at stake, 
and this should become a major focus for 2022 and 2024. Thank you, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, for that enlightening and informative piece, telling it like it is here on the Truth Hurts program. That's all the time we have. I'm sorry we ran just a few minutes long, but I think it was worth it. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you sometime soon. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are free speech protected under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics.